All right, that was a little strange. <laughs> we had a, we had a weird little echo. We're live. We're back. I promise you that we're not falling apart, even if parts of the country might be. But uh, welcome to the Atheist Experience. We are live today is Sunday, November thirteenth, two thousand sixteen. I'm Matt Dillahunty. Joining me this week, John Iacoletti. Howdy, folks. Yay. And yeah, this is the first live show after uh, the United States of America's recent presidential elections. There was a lot more that went on during the elections apart from choosing uh, a president. And as a reminder, the Atheist Community of Austin is a 501c3 educational organization promoting positive atheism in the separation of church and state. Ah, now I heard myself. Weirdly. They forgot to mute the stream. Ah, well. In any case, uh, supporting positive atheism and the separation of church and state. And because of all that, we are a nonpartisan organization and aren't going to be endorsing anybody. We can, though, talk about policies and we can talk about um, our thoughts on certain things. Uh, what, what did you just in general think of the election season that we had that seems to go on 24-7? I thought it was the craziest election that I've ever experienced in my lifetime, and I, I don't think it's over yet. I think yeah. it's going to be a crazy next four years as well. It's, it's going to be at least interesting. Um, there were some things that caught me off guard in conversations, and we can talk all day about, you know, hey, the Democrats didn't show up, or there were third-party voters, or this, that, and the other thing. Setting all that aside, we now have a situation which some people are going to be happy about, some people aren't going to be happy about. And in that sense, it's not dramatically different from other years. What I think has been dramatically different is many people that I spoke to were like, well, you know, it's just four years. And I think that's a terrible mistake because it means that you've overlooked one of the single most important aspects, and that is the President of the United States appoints judges to the Supreme Court and those are lifetime appointments. And so if you were just thinking, well, it's four years, let's shake it up and see what happens, uh, I, I understand the sentiment. The problem is that the, the next president is going to appoint somewhere between one and perhaps three Supreme Court justices. Some of them are ready to retire, some of them are old, and one of them is already dead and needing, in need of replacement. And that is going to affect the balance of the court potentially for 20 or 30 years, you're talking about a, an entire generation of people who are going to be affected by the decisions. And while I agree that the Supreme Court isn't likely to reverse itself, they, they tend to like pre uh, precedent. And as much as I do disagree with like the, you know, the politics of some of them, I will say that um, I think John Roberts, as Supreme Court Justice, has been incredibly respectful of the court. So I'm optimistic that, you know, catastrophe isn't going to ensue and we're not going to, like, everybody's going to lose their rights. And but those things can potentially happen. And the subtle things that happen when the Supreme Court makes decision that, that sets down precedent that affects what's going to happen for the next 20 or 30 years is something I wish people wouldn't overlook when they're deciding. I know people who are single-issue voters, like I'm only going to vote for or against the person based on their position on abortion or pick your issue. Um, this... Being concerned about the Supreme Court, though, isn't a single issue. Uh, it's all the issues. It is about how we are going to continue to structure the society in which we live. Well, and if Mr. Trump uh, makes good on his promise to appoint justices that are like Scalia, well, I, I've read a lot of Supreme Court opinions, and Scalia has no problem uh, uh, with the idea of overturning past cases and not respecting precedent. So he's made that very clear. 
or he did make that very clear when he was alive and writing opinions. So, uh, so that's something to be concerned about. That uh, yeah, they do respect precedent and prior decisions, but not all of them, and not always. Yeah, there's also this issue of whether or not Supreme Court justices are originalists, um, trying to read the minds of the founders. And I've said this before. Um, I don't. While I appreciate the individuals who founded our republic and set up the most of the rules that we uh, still have in place, some of them I may think are ridiculous, what the founders believed about some things needs to be changed. Our founders kept slaves. That needed to be changed. Our founders didn't allow women to vote. That needed to be changed. Merely trying to point back to this is what they had in mind two centuries ago when when they constructed this country, and we're going to stick with that, that's stagnation. That's not a way to get any sort of progress. That means that anything new we learn about how to do something better is trumped, whoops, sorry, <laughs> before we even get to have a discussion about it. Uh, and, and that's a potential problem. So while we're not going to sit here and talk about election results and talk about all the various issues, um, I know that there are people, there are atheists who voted for pretty much every single person who ran, even people you hadn't hadn't heard of. I would imagine that the, I've forgotten his name, the Mormon gentleman that was running in Utah. Uh, Evan uh, McMillan. McMullen. McMullen. Uh, I would imagine there were atheists that voted for him as well. So this isn't about atheists as a single voting block, and it's one thing that we have to be aware of. As the secular community continues to grow and more people participate, there is going to be a plurality of ideas within our own community. How we handle that, how we deal with it, and what we do on behalf of it is going to tell the world who we are. And while I support people's rights, First Amendment's rights to protest, and go ahead, peacefully demonstrate all you want when you cross the line into doing property damage and things like that, you're no longer working in your best interest. You are giving ammunition to the very people that you're trying to oppose. Uh, and similarly, when you, you know, complain about something when it doesn't go your way and have the opposite view when it does go your way, that's not necessarily hypocritical, but how you deal with the individuals that you're disagreeing with might be. Uh, and this is coming from somebody who probably blocked two dozen people on election night. But there were specific reasons, and that is, number one, I'm happy to continue having conversations with people, including and especially people I disagree with. I just don't always want it on my Facebook page and certainly don't want it on my Facebook page during the, the election results. Right. Well, so, and, and uh, although the ACA can't take positions on specific candidates, uh, we, we are going to continue to be, uh, as, both as individuals and as a group, vigilant about protecting church-state separation, uh, you know, that needs to be kept in mind more than ever. Uh, also, evidence-based and science-based education and public policy, and those are the things we can talk about, about and advocate for. And we will, we will continue to do so, and I will continue to advocate for those things. Uh, and I haven't been to the new website to make sure it's still there, but I'm assuming the position statements that we have that tell what the ACA is about, they're up there. Uh, um Ninety-nine percent sure they made it in the transition to the new website, but if not, I will make sure that they do. But so that's where we're at now. Um, we're going to go ahead and, and start taking callers here in 
in just a second. As a reminder, after the show's over, those people involved in the show and the friends who are there on the other side of the glass and whoever else happens to be in the area and wants to come down, we're going to Star of India right there, 2900 West Anderson Lane. The show's on until about 6 o'clock, 6 p.m., and because uh, I don't want to go till 6 a.m. I've, I've got a magic show I'm working on and everything else. <laughs> Which, by the way, uh, I don't want to do a whole bunch of self-serving announcements, but last Sunday I wasn't here because I was in Vancouver uh, doing an event with Richard Dawkins. I thought that went really well. Um, th- we had a good discussion. We got some good questions from the audience. Uh, there were some things we disagreed on, uh, but not tremendously. Though the very last question of that event is something that I think we do have a fairly strong disagreement on. And I'm not going to go into it in detail here, but if when somebody watches the video, they see the question asked and see Dawkins' answer and notice that I don't say anything, it's because we had run out of time and I knew that my answer was going to be kind of long and uh, and engaged in some subtlety and nuance there. Uh, but I'm looking forward to more events, uh, both uh, secular debates, conversations, and even some magic shows. I'll be in Canada quite a bit over the next year, uh, and maybe even we'll find other countries perhaps even my own, that might appreciate uh, me coming down to visit. Uh, the telephone number's up on the side there. We The lines are all full right now. We prefer theist callers, but that's not the only people that we're willing to talk to. This program is about engaging with believers or even people who are atheists but might have a disagreement to talk about what it is that you believe and why, and can we come to terms on that? What do we think about it? So I want to go uh, straight on to John in Georgia. Thanks for waiting. Uh, hello, this is John from Georgia. I have a uh, argument against the existence of God. An argument against the existence of God? Oh, I, I apologize. I misspoke. The existence of God and how it's provable. Okay. I, I'm sorry you lost me because it had you had you listed as a theist, and so when you say you have an argument against the existence of God, that... No, 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 no. no. I, I am a theist. He corrected it. He said he has an argument uh, in favor of the existence of God. Right? Well, anyway. Yeah, my bad. Okay, go, go ahead. Go for it. Pussy ass tits, come slime the vagina, God rock. Was that fun? <laughs> yes, it was. Well, I'm very happy for you. Do you think it actually did anything to improve the world or anything useful like Not that? Really. Okay. Not really. Okay. It's nice of you to wait, though. I mean, that, that shows dedication. By the way, we are not in any way under the Federal Communications Commission, so you can say whatever the fuck you want, but we prefer to actually have conversations that are useful and, uh, and productive. But, you know, I can't, I can't do anything if somebody just wants to show how stupid they are on live TV. What are you going to do? All right, we've got uh, Jared. Thanks for waiting. Did you want to utter a stream of profanity at us? No, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> cool. What do you got? Um, well, so um, what I wanted to talk about was, um, well, a couple of weeks ago you were talking on the show you had with Ed, you were talking about existence a little bit. We are talking uh, about what? You are talking about existence mm-hmm. a little bit, what it is. So that's why I wanted to call about um, kind of have a reason for or a meaning behind existence and understanding of it. Um, because when I listen to some of the questions you were asking, like, for example, you're saying, is existence temporal? To me, that, uh, that implied, like, a mistaken understanding of it from my point of view. 
I'm a, so, I'm, I apologize, Jared. I'm not completely following what you're saying. Um, when we talk, uh, well, when we talk about existence, it is by definition temporal. That that it, it involves time right. because if something exists for no time, that's nonsensical. That's up there with married bachelor. Well, that's what I'm arguing against. Okay, so you're saying that something this. exists, something can exist for no time? Um, I'm saying existence is independent of time. Okay. I have a, I, so, so then you, are you saying that something can exist for no time? Um, uh, yes, I suppose so, yeah. Okay, How? I'm not even sure what that means. That's like saying... Okay. Well, know. okay, so... Go ahead. This is, I'll, I'll describe what I mean by existence. I'll use an example. Um, let's say we're talking about chess. And that's a... We can call that a system. It's based on a set of rules, right? Um, chess is just a game. It's just a set of rules. So okay. could you say a pawn exists in the game of chess? A pawn exists in the game of chess. Yeah. Yes. Um, the, the, no. the concept of a pawn no, exists, no, and if you're playing on a physical board, then there's a physical piece that is a pawn. And if you're playing on a virtual board, there's some graphical representation that's pointing to the concept. But, yeah. So I would go more abstract than that. I would say what makes the pawn a pawn isn't whatever that physical representation is. No, I agree. How it relates. What, make, okay. what makes the pawn a pawn is the definition of a pawn. The game is structured in such a way that, that the term pawn applies to this particular concept of a piece that moves and how it can move and under what conditions and what the rules are. It's not anything to do with whether or not we cut out this particular shape. It's not anything to do with whether or not we have a physical piece on a board. We could be playing virtually. You could play in your mind. I mean, I can imagine a chess set right now and start with E4. And there's no physical okay. piece, but I just moved a pawn forward two spaces. Exactly. So the pawn only exists as a relationship in the game, how it relates to the, to the board. None of, the game of chess isn't a physical idea. You could say it's abstract, mathematical. So you're, there's a difference between physical objects and abstract concepts. But how can that pawn move if there's no time? Well, is time defined in the game of chess? Well, there's before and after. The pawn started at E2, and now it's at E4. And the only way it gets from one point to another is to, to make use of a before and after. Time doesn't have to be this in terms of a, you know, one second, two second, three second, it, it's relative. And so there was, a, there was some moment in time before where the pawn was in a different position and now it's here and it can't get from A to B without being bound by time. Otherwise, it would be possible for it to be in both positions at the same time. Hey, so that's really interesting um, because then you're saying time doesn't just mean the kind of time that we think of intuitively. In our universe, time like time the is the path. time is the label that we put on matter and motion. It's it's, it's a required uh, construct for motion, for anything to happen, and for anything to exist. 
That's that's why I was saying I don't know what you could possibly mean by something existing without time. Well, I was thinking in terms of, you know, like seconds passing, like the... The, the usual idea that people have of time. Yeah, but time is just descriptive. It is yeah. it is our way of talking about causality. It is our way about talking about motion. So if we're thinking of time as like a change in information or like a change in information states, it, well, like time that. time is change. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about information or anything else. Yeah, it's a change. Sure. So in that case, I think I could agree that time does exist. Um, like time is inherent if we're talking about it like that. Um, now, we said that chess has a chain. It has its own kind of time, right? I'm sorry? So we said chess does have a before and it does have time. It has before and after states. Well, yeah, a a chess game is a sequence of moves, and you can't have a sequence without a concept of time or without time being referenced. A sequence is necessarily temporal as well. So does that time necessarily stem from our universe, or is it part of the construction of the game itself? Well, it's, so we are talking about things with respect to a time that is not bound by the game of chess. At some okay. point, at some point in the past, you had uh, Big Bang, et, et cetera, and there's 13.7 billion years and four billion years here. The, the, the time spans are, for the most part, arbitrary. We just are saying this is how much time uh, based on our system of counting time. But don't confuse you know, seconds and minutes and light years, um, which are our, our attempts to quantify something and to break it down into discrete components. Don't confuse that with the fact that there was a before and then there's a now and there'll be an after. Mm-hmm. How much? So, the, how much space? Or how much? How we quantify the difference between a before and an after? Um, you know, you, we could say this phone conversation started 13.7 billion eggheads ago if we wanted to define, you know, egghead as a, as a way to quantify time. Yeah, that's kind of like um, I have time seems to be quantized. Um, causality, it seems like it's just a... It seems, yeah, there seems to be like a quantum of time, I guess, and we measure like some quantum. But I think I have, I think I have a slightly different idea because I don't think the time of chess um, is necessarily dependent on the universe's time. I think time exists uh, within solely within the construct of chess. For example, time is like a part of the system of chess. It's not a it's not necessarily part of our time. So there, there is a within the rules. Sure, there is a way to look at a chess game and talk about it having its own time, and you measure that in moves. And that time may be independent. It might be a second between moves. It could be twenty years between moves. But when you're looking at a chess game, you well, that's, assess that's it moves. Closing. So that I feel like is, um, I feel like. 
perhaps chess is a bad example because it seems to be bleeding between two things. I'm thinking of chess as a system completely isolated from okay. our reality. Uh, like it's its own enclosed system sure. of rules and things. Um, so for so there would be it's it's kind of difficult because they're conscious players as part of the rules. Yeah, yeah you, you don't you don't get so chat chat if all the humans in the world disappear, uh, the abstract chess structure has a time like uh, delineation in there for. You know, these are the rules and these are how one would make moves. But if you remove every thinking mind from the universe, it's not like there's time or moves or anything. Every chess game stops. So if I can maybe change the analogy a little bit, are you familiar with the game of life, John Conway's game of life? Yeah. Yeah, so that's a, that was, that's a little bit different, right, because it's like it's a zero-player game. There's no... Intervention. No, it's not. It's not a zero player game. You don't. So, in order, in order. Well, John Conway himself called it a zero player game. So I'm not pulling that out. Sure, that there's not an individual making decisions, but that's running. So it tends to be run on a computer. Okay, so you're feeding the rules into the computer, and the computer is dictating the time between generations and the time between morphing and stuff like that. Um, But. Nothing about that exists absent time. If there was no computer, if there was no passage of time, if there was no before, then there is no evolution and the game of life stalls. So once again, we're back to at, without time, there, nothing exists. It's, a ne- it's, it's just, it is a necessary component of everything. I mean, if you if you start the game of life on a computer, you turn the computer off, you take away the time, that game of life's dead. It does not exist. Now, it was played before computers, though. Sure. You, you could how play is it? it how is it done before computers? Well, somebody would like write somebody. On the paper. Somebody would take an action. How do you have any action without time? I think you're getting, and by the way, we're going to go ahead and cut this short because I think a lot of this yeah, is okay. getting getting confused about abstractions. And in reality, you're not really convinced that something can exist outside of time. You're arguing that um, abstractions about time can be used to describe closed systems and how they act. Uh, but we both seem to recognize that if there's not time, then everything ceases. Um, I won't say we're on the same page, but I won't drag it on any further. Okay, no. well, thanks for calling, Jerry. Well. All right. All right. Bye. What, yeah. what if you just have an initial chessboard layout the way it is at the start of the game, and you remove time, does the chessboard still exist in that snapshot? Well, not if you completely remove time, nothing exists. But you're not actually having a before and after. You're just having here's the chessboard. Yeah, but it, so what you actually have is a chessboard with pieces on it. Let's say, uh, but as long as it still exists in the universe, time is passing, but nothing is happening with the chess game. Okay, it's not any different from there being a rock. But as soon as you remove time, everything there's nothing left, which is why. Very I don't know. There's a physicist in the back <laughs> of the room who could probably explain all this far better than than I could as well, but. Uh, We'll go into Oscar in Dallas. Thanks for waiting.
Are uh, this is Oscar. Can you hear me? Yes, yeah. I can. Hey, Oscar. How are you? I, I, I just uh, in a moment I'll recount uh, my my experience with my ascent to Nirvana and how I, I was irked by it. But I do want to say that I think the election of um, of Trump does enhance the atheist position by pr- pr- providing almost proof positive that there is no God. But um, anyway, um, I am an atheist, and I've probably been one for at least several decades. And out of the blue, a couple of years ago, I experienced what, what I think can fairly be called nirvana, or perhaps heaven, if you will. And the only thing I came away with was a deep sense of annoyance. And when I say nirvana, I mean a state of mind or being not triggered by anything I, I couldn't remember or detect. And I don't drink alcohol and I don't do drugs. I'm not. Well, why not? Well, <laughs> after this, right, I should have, right. But I'm, and I'm never, I'm not an ill person and I don't have a history of mental problems. I never experienced okay. anything like this before or after. And it all came, it, it, in, in a dream, and I, uh, the experience outstrips my ability to explain or understand it. So, and Oscar, I was a watching. Yes, go ahead. So you're gonna you're gonna relay an experience you had that you're describing of experiencing nirvana, and yeah, it occurred in a dream, and you yes. were annoyed by it. Uh, I'm deeply annoyed by it. Sure, because I I, it was I have a couple book. of problems at the outset. Uh, okay, go ahead. So first of all, dreams, um, well, if, if something happened in, in a dream and I was, I, I don't know that I could ever call it nirvana, but I'll let you describe what it is and, and, and why you think you got there. But also, yeah. if almost by definition, um, I don't know how something could be fairly described as nirvana and also fairly described as annoying. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, somebody it, else's nirvana perhaps annoyed you, but I mean, nirvana as a concept of, of, of you know, the the peaceful bliss type thing, I don't know how that could be annoying. That's that's, that's my issue, because it, it, it came to me in a dream, and I, I, I woke because my I think my wife nudged me accidentally, and I woke up and I was bothered because it came to me in a dream, and it Instead of a laboratory setting, while well, I was awake with someone recording the event for later playback, for example, or verification, because if this was a sign from beyond, it was ineptly delivered. Heck, it was probably sent to the wrong address. Um, yeah, because you know, <laughs> signs from beyond that come to people when they're sleeping. I mean, you talk about how you're not, you know, you, you don't use any substances and you don't have any mental issues, but as soon as you start talking about what happens in a dream. Um, Guess what? Mental issues. If, well, if your brain is in a state where it's not functioning normally and rationally, if your brain is in a state where that we don't completely understand and it's, it's inventing stories or you are feeling as if it's inventing stories, um, how is that functionally different from any of the things you tried to exclude? If I'm making a list of things, you know, I had some experience and I want to say, Hey, I, I wasn't on any, you know, hallucinogenic drugs. I don't have any history of mental illness. One of the next things that I would be saying is I was wide awake 
because we recognize that, that the brain in various states, the brain near death, the brain while you're sleeping, is not functioning normally. It's an so, altered state. So yeah. why would anybody put any stock or care about what, you know, I realize people have nightmares. My wife had a nightmare the other night, and I, I reached over and I, I gently nudged her. Uh, because sometimes if she's having a nightmare and you, you do that and you say, hey, honey, you're having a nightmare, uh, why don't you go have a good dream? Then she'll have a good dream. I can influence what's going to happen in her dreams, and she won't even always remember it. This time she was startled and irritated, and she said, old people were stealing my candy, so I told them to fuck off. <laughs> I, I was like, but, but there's nothing about that where she got up the next day and said, you know what, I experienced a terrible reality. Or, or I received a message from beyond that that's just not going to enter her mind to do that because we recognize that hey I'm sleeping weird stuff's going to happen. I I I agree, but you'll also grant me that there have been whole religions launched with lesser evidence than mine. <laughs> I'm sure you're right. There's a reason we do this show. That's why you do this show, um, and usually uh, people. Who, who stumble upon God like I did, they're usually urged to like visit a yogi or consult holy scriptures or meditate. But instead I decided to call you and share my <laughs> experience. Um, that's what I'm doing. I, and I'm one, and I'm glad your, your advantage is to take this, take my, 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 uh, my, my, my perception, my, my experience with with the, the proper grain of salt, but is, I, I think I am in a position where I, there's nothing in this universe that I could experience with my senses that would convince me that there is a supernatural. That I, that's, that's where I am, and I'm wondering if I, if I am being fair to the, to the experience or, I, or, or if I am applying the correct testing methodology to make sure that what I saw and experienced, and, and, and I, that I, I dismissed so easily, was is was I being fair to it? Because I do yes. dismiss it. I, I, what what would ahead. be unfair would be to say, I know that this is impossible, and there's never anything that could possibly change my mind. That would be unfair. That would be uh, a pronouncement that you know you have sufficient information that you can determine that, nope, this is not possible. This is never going to change my mind. Uh, but saying that you're convinced at this point that it's incredibly unlikely or you can't see any way that you might, your mind might be changed or that evidence is forthcoming, that's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're not, as long as you're willing to accept the evidence should it present itself. That makes sense. I do this for a you, living. You do it well. You, well, you I don't do, do this well, for a living. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. If I, ever, if I ever sense anything like that again, I will surely call. Well, my my understanding of enlightenment uh, of, of nirvana is enlightenment. So I I think you could experience enlightenment and be annoyed by it because it just means you're enlightened. You see the you see things for as how they are. All right, that's fair. Um, so I that that well, I, seems reasonable see to me. But I don't see them any different differently than before. Saul here didn't become Paul. There was no no awakening. No. No, the road to Damascus. I, I might have been hit, hit with a, a, a bolt of, uh, of lightning, but no, no, no uh, clear sense of, of anything else. So that's. So one thing that I did want to ask, if it's possible, to describe the experience, what it 
felt like as briefly as you can that you are calling Nirvana. Because well, I, 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 what I'm saying is, my point is, I could have all kinds of experiences that might be what somebody else might call Nirvana, but I wouldn't even know, you know, like when this happened, whatever experience, I wouldn't know how to label it Nirvana. And, and I don't know why well, I would want to. Like, first of all, the very second I awoke, I was annoyed just because the memory quickly started to, to, to fade. It's, I, I was overwhelmed, but I was annoyed that it, it happened in my sleep. But just tell, just generally, it was, a. Uh, 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 being a wash in color and energy, there was no 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 bodies, no no sense of the other or my separation from anything else. So it was sort of like the new agey type of experience that that people always claim they're trying to achieve. I'm not trying to achieve that. I'm not. I was just taking an afternoon nap. You know, that was the whole my whole context. Not searching. I wasn't a search, searcher. I still am not a searcher. Yeah. But so it, the experience. So and we we get this a lot from other things. There are people who talk about the God helmet, the the God module. Uh, I get email on a regular basis talking about how DMT is going to invoke spiritual. I don't even know what spiritual means, but evidently it invokes invokes spiritual and mystic experiences. And quite frankly, as someone who has taken. Um, LSD, among other drugs. Um, I've had experiences that are similar to theirs, and it would have never occurred to me to describe them as spiritual or mystical or nirvana or anything else, in part because I don't know what those words mean, and in part because my brain was functioning in an altered state. So I can't... Why would you think that something you experienced in this state was more real or pointed to something that was potentially more real. This idea that you've got, oh, I've had this revelation of a, of a truth that everybody has overlooked, and it came to me in a purple haze, and we're really all just one, and we're, no, we're not all just one. Uh, it's a cool sentiment on occasion to talk about how we're all t- in this together, and we're all one, but the, the, the idea of the, you know, the a universal consciousness that we, there's no evidence for it. It's a way of, of taking something that is about who we are and how we're going to experience things, adding in the weirdness that happens either when you're on particular drugs or when you're sleeping or whatever, and then trying to make sense of it. And while I am in favor of trying to make sense of the world, I'm not in favor of trying to make sense of things without a good reason to think that they are sensible. Um, You know, when I watch science fiction shows and fantasy shows, the one thing that'll make me stop watching instantly is when they change the rules within the show. If things work this way and it's magic, you know, if I'm watching Harry Potter or, you know, Star Trek or whatever, as long as they stay consistent within their system of rules, I can enjoy it because I build this little framework of this is what this universe is like and that's fantasy. And as soon as they break that, the walls shatter and I realize, ah, they're no longer playing by their own rules, and now none of this makes sense because as soon as you break this rule, every storyline you had before, now there's a big plot hole in it because there was another solution that you didn't, you know, propose. I, I think the same thing's true when people try to find meaning and purpose in things without a demonstration that there is, in fact, the sort of meaning and purpose they're looking for. By the way, the meaning and purpose, I... I found in the last six months or so has has come 
not from that experience, and I only remember it, and I only recall it because of your show. So my my sense of my place in in this existence has been grounded well, I think, largely because of your good efforts on this show. Um, so I, I, I thank you for that. Well, um, thank you. you know, and, you know, keep, that, keep enjoying your dreams. Maybe don't spend so much time trying to figure out what they mean. <laughs> <laughs> I will do so. Thanks, Oscar. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Everybody's had, I almost wish that he should maybe call back and talk to Tracy at some time because I'm thinking, you know, yeah. lucid dreaming and all the things yeah, that Tracy's spoken about many times. She's done a lot of stuff around surrounding dreams. I think, you know, that feeling of connect, connectedness that people describe sometimes when they're under the influence of something or uh, or dreaming or hallucinating or whatever is... Even just meditating. Meditating. Yeah. It's... it's uh, that, that may have been what Oscar was getting at when he said nirvana. And uh, I look at that, and I've experienced that. I look at that as an emotional state, and a, you know, going out and seeing a beautiful sunset, and you just feel like you're connected somehow. It's, it's. I appreciate that without attributing, without the need to attribute anything particularly mystical or supernatural to it. Just you know, it is what it is, and it's, and I appreciate it and can oh, feel it. We are factually connected to the sun. We are. You know, the atoms in our body come from the stars. The right. sun fuels our planet and provides us with warmth and grows the plants and that feed the animals and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so in that sense, we are connected in a way. And you, I think you can appreciate that and not I, I like attribute that. some universal reality. There, there's this idea that we, we talked before about, you know, beauty. That if you understood everything about the physics of the world, about light and how this particular flower with its colors, um, we look at it as beautiful. And if you understood everything about that thing at, a, at the base level, the beauty would go away. And I find that just to be absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I totally disagree. I'm clearly experiencing an appreciation of something that's beautiful. And knowing why that happens doesn't change the fact that I'm experiencing it. Right. Is it possible that it could? Only if you focus everything, you're dwelling on this, and you you put some stock in this idea that, oh, because it's only this, therefore it is not as beautiful. You can certainly convince yourself um, to diminish your appreciation of things based on a reductivist kind of view of that. Oh, well, oh, love, you know, love is just a, a chemical state of the brain. Okay, let's assume for a second that love is, in fact, just a chemical state of the brain. I'd argue that it's many different, love is a label we put on many different chemical states of the brain. So what? You still, you still love people. If you stop loving people because you found out that it's a chemical state, that's not not because you found out it's a chemical state. It's because you took the significance and mm -hmm. stuck it over here and made it insignificant. And that this it's a good example of how we do this in both directions. Oh, love has to go away if it's just chemicals. Or if I have this experience and I don't necessarily understand it, I need to go looking for some externally imposed meaning or purpose or some oneness in the universe. I think that you can be con connected on a, uh, a metaphoric level right. and even 
to some extent on a physical level, but when you try to compact all those into something profound, you, you've overemphasized the the scenario in order to add influence or impact to it. Right. Made it a deepity, as, as uh, Dan Dennett would say. Yep. We've got um, Vince in Missouri. Thanks for waiting. Uh, hi, I'm Matt. Uh, uh, I'm a first-time caller, and I watch your show on YouTube all the time. Oh, and, uh, hi, John. Hi. Hi. Um, uh, I'm calling uh, uh, about uh, this theory I, I've had over the last, I don't know, couple weeks or so. And, um, uh, oh, I, I hope my cell phone doesn't die on you guys. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, um, I, um, I'm kind of a, an sign like atheist agnostic kind of you know i'm like agnostic the only reason why i call it myself is because i can't guarantee you that there is an afterlife okay so i mean i that's so strange i mean yeah i I can't guarantee you anything about an afterlife either but also whether or not there's an afterlife has nothing to do with whether or not there's a god um well no i mean I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that there's a God. I mean, the, the way I see it is like, you know, existence doesn't need your approval for you to know that it exists. No, any sure. More than the ground needs, any more than the ground needs your approval for you to walk on it, you know. Yeah, what's true is true irrespective of what we believe about it. And you can be an agnostic oh, yeah. and an atheist both. Yeah, those, so. yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah, not I to mean, worry. Well, okay. To get to the real core of why I'm calling is that, um, you know, uh, I did this, I said this at my father's eulogy last year, and it, it went along, this, along the lines like this. He says, I says, quote, my mind was scrambling for answers from all the events that led up till now. And um, through my mind of deep meditation was uh, the best answer I could come up with is that for every newborn baby that is born into this world, just before it becomes born, it probably thinks that its world is coming to an end, when in fact it's just now being born in a whole new world. So in that regard, forever when we think that our life, our existence comes to an end here, it could mean that you're being born in a world that's far more vast than that of this one, end quote. Okay. You know, so I just wanted I, uh, that was the end of the quote of my father's at my father's eulogy, and you know, it, it's I thought it was kind of like an interesting concept, to, to say the least. Yeah, it's one of those things where I could be overly pedantic and say you've just asserted that something is possible without a demonstration that it's possible. But I think that listening charitably, what you're really saying is we don't know what the hell is going to happen after we're dead, and if if in fact there's some kind of afterlife, we don't know anything about it. Maybe it's like this. Maybe it's like that. Um, I, I, my my focus is, of course, on the on the life that we have. If there's any sort of afterlife, will turn out to be a, a rather surprising bonus. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that this is it. I'm, I mean, it's kind of like a nice thought. I'm not you know chiseling this in stone or anything. I'm just. I'm just saying that could be one of many infinite number of possibilities. I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not going to hold this true or anything. I'm just, 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I get uh, it. I'm I'm just more I'm more picky about when I say that something could be the case, and I and I'll tell you why. Yesterday, I got okay. an email from someone asking, "What are your thoughts on the Holy Spirit?" And I said, "Well, I don't have I don't believe that anything supernatural is real. I don't have sufficient reason to think that that's the case." And the, the guy wrote back and basically gave what he thought was a demonstration of something um, that he's going to attribute to the Holy Spirit. And in his email, what he said is essentially that it, this happened, people fall down at religious services, and that could be the Holy yeah. Spirit. In fact, he went on to, to not only say that it could be the Holy Spirit, but that the only possible explanation or the most likely explanation was that it was the Holy Spirit. I don't know how you reach the yeah. conclusion that a particular explanation is most likely if you haven't demonstrated that it's even possible, let alone what its probability is, and yeah. the, the possibility of saying, oh, it could be the Holy Spirit. How did you determine that? I mean, if you're just going with, if I were to ask that same person, when those people fall down, would it be fair to say that this could be caused by fainting pixies from another universe? And yeah, it, or some random event, you know. Yeah, I mean, but if that, if you're okay with saying that that's possible, um, then I think you've reduced possibility to something that's, even more meaningless than it may be, that what we really care about well, is probable, probable and likely. And that's the only reason I'm, I'm picky about the language. On the other hand, if I'm at a funeral for a relative and I'm having conversations with people, I, while I may not have written you know, the same eulogy that you do, uh, I'm not going to start giving a lecture yeah. on causality and possibility and what's likely and whether or not there's a God or an afterlife. Uh, you know, that's, that's the time... Uh, to reflect on what that individual's life meant to you and the other people who are around funerals. Funerals are for the people who are still here. And well, having mean, those conversations how, is mean, great. Well, notice how in my eulogy quote, there, there's no mention of a god or some right. sort of su- super mind or anything of that nature. So, yeah. And uh, there was another uh, uh, skeptic like me that was in the funeral and stuff, and he, he uh, respected um, my my. Uh, eulogy and stuff. He says, he says that is an interesting concept. I never thought of it like that. You know. Well, and it, it depends how you look at it too. I mean, you when you die, you have a state change, and if you're buried or you're cremated, your body, what's left of it, is going to change into some other state. So in that sense, you well, yeah. you go on uh, in into a different. I guess you could call it a different reality. Um, so really, there's like there's different ways of interpreting that. I guess if you're going to talk about what's possible. Um, well, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's like the way the idea of the eulogy was to say that, uh, like, to say that we are the fetus, and just for the sake of argument, saying it does, it it does have concept of thought and comprehending information, and, and it understands the concept of time. It has a memory gland and all that. How could it possibly know that of an existence beyond darkness, beyond what it's available to? The same kind of scenario that we, as a species, how could we possibly know of something that's beyond our reach? You know, that that was the concept that I was trying. To yeah, there, there's lots of things we don't have answers to, and there are some things that are apparently beyond our ability to answer with the information we have now. And the best thing to do is to yeah. recognize that that's the case and and answer with an "I don't know." I'm gonna go on to well, another. Yeah. I'm gonna go on to another caller here in a second, Vince. But I All think right, it's thank also. You guys. It, thanks, Vince. Right, it's thank also you. a really good time to to mention when we're talking about death and dying. Um, 
not only an organization like Grief Beyond Belief, which is a secular organization that uh, helps people uh, dealing with death and dying, um, but there are a number of other secular organizations out there as well, including the Secular Therapist Project, so that mm-hmm. if you're having difficulty in those areas uh, and you're tired of being surrounded by religious pronouncements and platitudes, um, you can go to seculartherapy.org, I believe it is, yeah. and find yourself a counselor who's not going to try to preach at you, but is going to, I don't know, rely on real medicine, real science, and compassion um, to help you get through the difficult times in your life, and, and for people you know as well. Uh, because one of the things is not only does atheism, and I know we're going to get to this in another call here in a second, we don't have any declarations of of an afterlife. We don't think there is one. Uh, if it turns out to be one, cool, it's a bonus, whatever. But I think religions have done a really awful uh, thing in portraying life and death in such awful terms. Uh, death is, is the seemingly unavoidable end to life. And pretending that you're going to see your loved ones later on may, as Penn Jillette and others have pointed out, lead you to not necessarily work to treat people right in, the, in this life, that maybe I'll get to make up for it another time. Or I really miss that person. So rather than going through what could be a healthy grieving process where you recognize uh, that this person had an incredible impact on your life and that it's okay to cry and it's okay to miss them and that it's okay to cherish those men- memories, even when they feel overwhelming, if religion takes that and says, you know what, you don't have to feel overwhelmed because you're going to get to see him again. I'm not convinced that we're doing any good to people because we're not teaching them how to cope with reality. Right. We're teaching them how to dismiss it based on a hope of some extra reality. And that's that's incredibly troubling. But it, it, it may tie into um, this call from uh, James in Franklin, Kentucky. Hey, I've been to Franklin. Hey James. Hello. Hey James. Hey, how you guys doing? Pretty well. Doing great. Good, good. I'm I'm really glad to get in touch with you guys, man. Uh, I've been watching the show on YouTube and trying to. Uh, also a uh, Rn Raw as well. I've been I've been seeing him on the YouTube and I just I'm not a, uh, a severely educated college educated man, but uh, I had a, a theory about uh, Jesus. How do you guys stand on on the character of Jesus? On the character of Jesus? Mm. Um, yes. It's the a, actual it, physical body of Jesus, the character himself. Well, I don't necessarily know that there was an actual physical body, but I'm okay with the idea that there is. And when I consider the things that he's reported to have said and done, some of them are good, some of them are awful, some of them are meh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I have a it's pretty much a simple theory about him myself. Uh, it was, or it is, I'm sorry, it is, uh, it, didn't he have some lost years when he when he went off somewhere and did something? Well, we don't know what he may have done. John Prine wrote, wrote a really good song called Jesus, The Missing Years. Um, there's, you know, lots of speculation. There's nothing in the Bible about it. Basically, he goes from being, you know, 12, 12 and chastising the or, or showing how well he knows the Torah uh, to having a ministry yeah. at 33. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, well, I, uh, I'll, yeah. sk- I'll skip the joke and let you get to your point. 
Sure, absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah, he, my theory is is that he came back after these so-called lost years, and he basically went and and told everyone that that I, this again, this is just a wild theory. Uh, stop believing in all these other religions. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop giving your money to the churches. And when the when the Jewish faith or the Judeo-Christian, whatever the, whatever it was at the time that crucified him, when they heard about this, that's the first thing they looked up and said was, kill him. And and then they killed him, and then the pen writers wrote whatever they wanted to and called it the Bible. Okay. That's just a theory uh, that I have about the whole kind of... Well, in keeping I, I, with yeah, my trend of being overly... highly educated. Over, overly pedantic today, I'll say it's not a theory. It is a loose hypothesis. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I, I am. Uh, I'm on my my overly pedantic kick where I correct things that may not be significant, but could be. So a theory yeah, very, very has precise, a very yes. has a specific usage in science. Oh. Uh, but you're not doing science, so you can go with the colloquial. This is what I pulled out of my butt. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, I mean, you may have really good reasons to believe it, but I mean, we're actually kind of on a par with that. Um, one of the things is he was based, you know, he he was reportedly killed for putting himself co-equal with God, where they pissed off about him, you know, running the moneylenders out of the temple, probably. Um, yeah. But there's the interesting thing to me is I just I just moderated a debate on whether or not Jesus actually existed as a real historical figure or whether these are just stories. Um, I I tend to come down at least marginally on the side of Jesus was a historical figure or there was some person that we've glommed stories onto. But if you go through the Bible and you pull out anything that we can't reason, anything supernatural that we couldn't possibly verify anyway, and other things, what you get is the things that aren't extraordinary are that you have an itinerant Jewish rabbi who's got some followers and said some things, but we don't really know what those things were. Right. And stories that were, you know, uh, passed down through oral traditions. Uh, yeah. You know, and then we have copies of copies of translations of copies of altered translations of copies and no originals. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so at the end of the day, yeah. if there was a real historical Jesus. Okay, fine. Yeah. If he was who modern Christians say he is, and I'll, and I'll switch from was to is because they think he's still around, then right. why is there any question at all about any of this? Why is it that the Gideons are running around putting Bibles in every hotel room if modern people cannot <laughs> possibly reach the right conclusion from it? You can't understand it. Why is it that you have to become expert in dead languages and archaeology and all and anything in order to have a rational foundation to believe this? Because it doesn't make sense with the model. Let's imagine for a moment that I'm God and we'll imagine that I've made the colossal list of errors that lead me to the point where I've decided the best solution is to have a a portion of me come down and take human form and be tortured and killed to serve as a substitute for other animal slaughter to make up for sins. And then I spend a portion of a weekend 
uh, dead and then I get to come back and be with me forever. Let's set aside whether or not that makes any sense. If it were in fact, if it did happen and it were important and it was the most important thing people could possibly question, if it was the most important thing that people could ever understand properly, why would I ever allow all the originals to go away, no eyewitnesses, no authorship of these, no way to verify yeah. this information. Where's the Bible 2.0 and 3.0? And why the hell doesn't God just show up and say, <laughs> hang on a minute, this is important. Here's what actually happened. None right. of that makes right. any sense. And so whether or not there was a real person behind it is a separate issue from whether this story makes sense at all. And it doesn't. Only, only right. an idiot would proceed with the most important question and not give sufficient evidence for it and, and allow this issue to be debated for millennia and allow it to divide families and homes. This is, an, this is a question of truth. In much the same yeah. way that people were dismissive about a lot of conversations this past week and saying, oh, it's just politics. No, it's not politics. It's values. Oh, yeah. It's about what kind of world you want to live in. Dismissing it as politics is akin to saying, well, it doesn't really matter what, whether we know accurately what Jesus said. Yes, it does. And the modern church yeah. is built yeah, on what Paul said anyway. But enough of my anti-Christian rant. <laughs> hey, don't feel bad. I used to be Southern Baptist. so Yeah, right there with you. But thanks for the call, James. Uh, Paul, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, no, I've actually seen a, uh, quite a few of your little uh, episodes and stuff on YouTube, and your your uh, some of your conferences. And yeah, love the stuff, man. Love this. I, I, I appreciate everything you guys do. Thanks, James. I appreciate it. Thank you. The uh, the question that was actually listed there, which I'm not quite sure we got to, um, and I and now I'm, I'm sorry that we let him go. He's a new atheist. And, and is asking the question, what's next? What's what's atheist life? Do you have an answer for him? Are you going to make a pronouncement about what atheist life is? No, because I've never not been an atheist, so what's next kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, you know, I, ha- I haven't studied the Bible and Christianity, and um, to, to me that's just kind of this kind of weird story. And... Uh, you know, what's next is just living your life. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's not any different. John was never a believer, so he's not, doesn't have this, but I was a believer. And the what's next question, well, for me, it was pretty simple. Um, I care about these discussions. I want to engage. But the nice thing is you're no longer living or think you're no longer living under the watchful eye of some cosmic dictator who's got a plan for your life and is moving you around like a puppet or allowing you to move around a little on yourself and then smacking when you when you don't do it the way he wants to. You're now the captain of your own ship. You get to figure out what your life's going to be about, and you get to to try to do the right thing, the things that, that that's not only best for you but best for the society you live in because you should never forget that it's rather myopic to think, oh, this is best for me without exploring the consequences of those decisions on the reality you live in. It may be the best thing for me to go rob a bank right now. And even if I had absolute confidence that I wouldn't get robbed, I may still think it's the best thing for me to go rob a bank. Man, that sounds amazing. What's in your best interest? Robbing a bank without getting caught. Except it's not. 
Because robbing the bank has consequences on everybody else. It determines what interest rates people are going to earn. It determines whether or not you're going to be able to get a loan. It determines how much people are going to pay in taxes, how much you got to pay for security. And it may be the case that you end up losing more than you could ever possibly steal or making the world around you so horrible that the money that you stole is now irrelevant, that it doesn't benefit you in the way you thought. You have to think beyond yourself and consider, if what if everybody in the world took the action I'm about to take? What kind of world would that be? And do you want to live in that world, and how is, how is that going to affect you? So we uh, have Billy here. Uh, hey, from Austin, Texas. That's Billy, I don't know when the last time we had a caller from our town. <laughs> yep, yep, I'm here. I'm from Austin. I could drive down there and see you if I wanted to. Yeah. Awesome. Why haven't you? Um, you know, uh, work, family, three kids. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's yeah. all good. Yeah. Um, um, I'm just, I'm just calling. Um, I've heard you, I've heard you say on, you know, several occasions that there's no proof of anything that's supernatural, or no evidence of anything that's supernatural, and then, and then I hear. I, I'd correct that slightly. I'd, I'd correct okay. that slightly. I'd say there's not sufficient evidence to believe because people will call anecdotal evidence evidence. There's right. not sufficient evidence to believe that anything supernatural is real, and the right. ve- the very, and this is going to sound strange to say, but the nature of the supernatural appears to be blocked from investigation. We we can only investigate the natural world, and we ha- until we can demonstrate that the supernatural is real, and that it can affect reality. And that we have a way to detect when it's affecting reality. We can't make any any announce or pronouncements about it. It's 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 simply an unfalsifiable, untestable proposition that anything supernatural exists. So it only so it only exists like on a chalkboard, theoretical physics or whatever. Like because I hear I hear Lawrence Krauss talking about particles that pop in and out of existence. Sure, but that's, that's not supernatural. That sounds supernatural to me. Well, um, that's probably because you are, are you a quantum mecha- well, a quantum mechanics expert. Well, it meets it meets the definition of of, super, of the word supernatural. No, so it doesn't. People, no, yeah, it, it, so supernatural gonna, supernatural is something that uh, is not a not part defined, of nature, but it's not defined by general relativity and not bound by natural. No, law. no, 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 no. The word natural versus supernatural, does, at no point does the theory of general relativity define what is natural versus what is supernatural. Scientific models are tentative explanations based on the best available evidence. If we find out, for example, that Newtonian mechanics is wrong, and it is in some context, what we've discovered is something new, and that's where you get to you know, general relativity and eventually to quantum mechanics. If quantum mechanics is describing the natural world, and it specifically describes virtual particles, which are actual particles, even though they're called virtual particles, if popping into existence, if this is a function of what quantum mechanics predicts, quantum mechanics is not reaching out to something supernatural to make that prediction. It is a model that is making predictions based on the facts of the natural world. So we don't define natural or supernatural based on what we understand right now. We don't say that because this, this, this model or this theory defines the world thus and so that anything else outside of that is supernatural because the reality is there are things outside of that model that we're going to discover which are natural and become part of the description of the universe. Okay. Um, well, see, we, there's, an atlas, or there's an atlas detector on the, on the Large Hadron Collider that, that has basically dismissed, completely dismissed the supersymmetric model for particle physics. So that leaves... That leaves no explanation for the mass of the Higgs field. Um, 
besides designed. Oh, um, oh, be, okay, okay. So you're you're now claiming that, and and I'm I'm not a well, not I'm not a, I, I, no no no. You're claiming I'm not a physicist. Not you just no you just did, you just did. Okay. okay, I'm not a physicist. But what you've said is, hey, we've now disproved this, and the only no, remaining explanation that. is design. How did you determine well, that there are no other possible explanations other than design? And how did you well, determine that design is actually a possible explanation, a viable explanation? Well, design has to be a viable explanation. There's the, the appearance of design. No, it doesn't. That's, you're, you're, you cannot say that this has to be a viable explanation. What if, in fact, there is no God and no design? You can't say that something is a viable explanation unless you have a demonstration that it is probable. That it is likely, well, that it is possible. The whole point is to the whole point is to find out what there what there is, and and to infer what there could be, uh, given whatever evidence uh, you have to work with. And but you can only we explain things in terms of other things that we understand. You don't just get to infer whatever you yeah. feel like. How did you rule, well, I mean, How did you rule out universe creating pixies? How did you determine they're not a possible explanation? Because how? Because then how do you how do you know that it was pixies? I don't like, know I, that it was pixies. I'm I, asking you how you ruled it out to say the only remaining explanation is an intelligent designer. And these pixies, by the way, I'm describing out. aren't intelligent. They just produce I, universes. I don't, I don't rule things out. I only I only rule things in. No, you you know, you, I, I, you, you I, ruled I, them out when you said the only remaining explanation is this, and you haven't even demonstrated that that explanation is a possibility. See. I support front-loaded intelligent design theory, which is not a, a religion. It's at not all. science either. Well, I mean, I would, I would, I would disagree. Like, like we would be wrong. Don't you infer, don't you need to demonstrate a designer before you can talk about whether no, something was designed? Not necessarily. No, we we don't we don't have to we don't have to to define God or describe God. We can't. We have no evidence of that. But so, but the no the, the, the thing here is that there's. The thing here is that you can't, if you present an argument that is based on a fallacy, then we cannot say that it's true. And to say that because we've ruled, sorry? I'm sorry, I don't understand what the fallacy is. The argument from ignorance, you're saying that, well, actually, in this case, it's the argument from incredulity, that we haven't found another explanation, therefore, this is the only one that's left. And there's two problems here. Not only have you ruled out all possible other explanations, uh, which would require you to know everything about the universe, but you've also ruled in an explanation without any way to demonstrate that it's possible. But there's no evidence that there is any other that there are any other answers. Like, like um, a, there's, a there's no there's evidence no, right now for you. For yeah, your, yeah, you're going on you're going on future knowledge that you. No, that you're you going have. on future knowledge. You don't get to say no. that that it's possible there's a god until after it's been demonstrated yeah. that it's possible that yeah. there's a god. I can't say that it's possible that there's... Uh, well, you can say right, it, but saying it doesn't mean that it's true or reasonable. That's the point. Well, I can say I mean, it's universe farting pixies. But how do you know they're farting? I, I'm, I'm, I'm they're saying, farting? how do you know that they're intelligent? I'm saying that the same justification that you use to say we haven't, let me finish, we haven't found an explanation, therefore it must be intelligent design. That same argument is what I'm using to say we haven't found an explanation, therefore it's universe farting pixies. 
I mean, but you don't know that they're farting, though. Where's, where's I, your evidence? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, I agree with you. I don't know that they're farting. And my response to you is you don't know that there's an intelligent designer. You're pointing out the flaw in my analogy that points out your flaw doesn't make me wrong. It just shows that you're wrong. Um, well, see, I only call it God because there's no formal name. Like, it could be... It could be any. It could be universe parting pixies. Okay, then, then by your admission, by your admission, the only possible explanation is not just intelligent design because you just said it could be farting pixies. Well, call it whatever you want. I, it's call not it about what you call it. Intelligence, the word, has word. a usage. Intelligent design. You don't get to say, you don't get to say, Billy, that it has to be intelligent design if you simultaneously acknowledge that it could also be farting pixies. Do you not see that? God and farting pixies are the same thing. Okay, they're the same thing. Okay, and guess what? They're both done on this show. Thanks, Billy. God and farting pixies are the same thing. The thing that Billy doesn't grasp here is that by saying it must be an intelligence and then acknowledging that it could be something that is not, a fart is not intelligent. when, When I fart, I didn't think something and intentionally create something. It is a byproduct and by the way, it could be gases belching out from unthinking things as well. You can't make the argument for intelligence by just saying it's possible because you don't have any way to demonstrate that it is in fact possible. All you can say is it can't be said to be impossible. Right. And if, the, if your argument is, well, you can't prove me wrong, then that is by definition the argument from ignorance fallacy. Well, and even setting aside in, uh, in the question of intelligence, he's also assuming design. Yeah. Regardless of where, where it comes from, uh, and he hasn't demonstrated that either. He said uh, he said that he has a reason to think that design is possible, and he didn't give one. Yeah. Well, he, I tell you this. I mean, I've, I've got somebody back there who basically wrote a or the textbook on quantum mechanics and i'll talk to him after the show's over but i'm pretty sure that um when physicists began constructing uh and understanding and developing quantum mechanics uh i really doubt that any of them said well it could possibly be this and then just inserted it it's like when people call in to say that they've mathematically proved god there is no god variable there is no god quantity this is playing around by taking unknowns, sticking them in, and then arrogantly assuming that because we know so damn much that surely by now we should have found the explanation if it's anything other than God, and because we haven't found the explanation as we are this incredibly evolved ape, because we haven't found any other explanation, it must be this one. It is, it is childishly arrogant to presume that, well, we know so much if we don't know this, the only possible, I'm so smart, I've excluded all possible explanations, including ones I don't understand and don't know anything about. I mean, you're doing the same thing that people did back when they wanted to say that, you know, lightning was a sign from the gods. Hey, we don't know why there's lightning, and all of our current attempts to explain it have failed. And the only possible remaining explanation is that uh, Zeus is hurling lightning bolts down. I've got it wrong before and said Thor, so I corrected it today. <laughs> but Thor's way cooler because of the hammer. Yet that's not the way you find your way to reason. There are demonstrable fallacies in there. 
And as soon as you say, well, we've ruled out natural explanation A, B, C, and D, therefore supernatural explanation X is in, you're demonstrating that you don't understand the bounds of reason. Because you don't just get to an explanation by excluding others. Only if you excluded all others. I did a debate on the resurrection of Jesus, and I started off by talking about a fallacy that I've called the Arthur Conan, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle fallacy. And he famously had Sherlock Holmes say that when you've ruled out all possible explanations, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. And that's really easy to do if you're a jackass writing your own detective and creating your own rules and making him impossibly smart so that he's godlike. He may or may not have access to be able to rule out all possible explanations. But in reality, when we're human beings and we're in this constant stage of discovery, we may never get to the point where we can rule out all possible explanations for anything. <coughs> and so we have to look at what is demonstrably possible, what is probable, calculate how probable different explanations are, and then make a tie through our understanding of causality and reason and the burden of proof to say this is the most probable explanation. And that's what science does. Science doesn't say this is true, thus we have pronounced. It makes the tentative, it reaches tentative conclusions based on the most reliable methods so that we can try to not get it wrong. And what religions are doing is saying, that's not good enough. I'm okay with getting it wrong because I really don't think it's possible that I could be wrong, even though my proposition is completely unfalsifiable and untestable. You don't get to pretend like science and religion are playing on even footing in their process for discovering the truths about reality. The God hypothesis has no explanatory power. You don't get to solve a mystery by appealing to a bigger mystery. It has no satisfactory explanation. It is the rough equivalent of do it because I said so. And you can't even demonstrate that anybody actually said so. It's a mess. And it's embarrassing that we're in 2016 and people are still doing, well, we don't have any other explanation, therefore God. Well, I realize that's a comforting pacifier so that you don't have to sit around and agonize about the truth that we don't know, that we don't have an explanation. Fortunately, there are plenty of people who care about the truth, who seek the best ways to investigate the truth, and spend their lives trying to find out the answers that we don't know, while others just sit around pretending that they do. Oh, that was a sermon. Yeah. I'm, I'm, well, and, then if, and if you don't know enough to even assign probabilities to stuff, then you don't know. You don't. You don't just uh, rule. I'm sure that the people didn't have any better explanation for lightning, and that seemed supernatural. And you brought up lightning. Uh, you you don't just get to say, well, uh, it's got to be Zeus throwing lightning bolts because uh, you know that that's or you really you can't even say it's possible that Zeus is throwing the lightning bolts. Uh, just because you can't figure out another way it happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probability is nice, but at a minimum, begin with the demonstration of possibility. And I had a long conversation with my friend Blake Junta about this, and his position is everything's possible until it's been proved impossible, and that's just wrong. Um, what, you, what you can say is nothing is impossible until it has been proven impossible, and nothing is possible until it's been proven possible. There must be a demonstration there. 
Unless, unless by possible you mean something that's so infinitesimal, infinitesimally, I can't speak, uh, possible at the quantum level, like, you know, a monkey may materialize in front of me because randomly, uh, it's possible if you're willing to talk about something that's so unlikely in the real world. But even that, even that in that context, we are talking about a demonstrable possibility that the laws of nature uh, in the real world don't preclude this. As soon as you start talking about what's possible in the supernatural realm, you have departed from reasonable conversation because you're talking about something you can't possibly investigate. You're talking about something that you know nothing about and something that may not even be real. It may be that the natural world is all there is and that the supernatural is a fictitious invention developed from our own ignorance and fear of not being able to explain everything. We've got uh, Kevin in Buffalo, New York. Thanks for waiting for my sermon. Ah, hello. Hey, is this uh, John and Matt? Yeah. yeah. Hey, Kevin. Hey, guys. Uh, I actually heard, learned a lot just listening to you guys. Uh, uh, I am a theist, uh, but I am having some doubts. Uh, and I've been having doubts. I've been a Christian for about 20 years now. I'm like 40 years old. Gave my life to Christ when I was 20. And, uh, you know, I kind of just went with it, you know. Uh, Take it back. Take it back. No. <laughs> well, uh, well, you know, as I've been thinking, I, as, as I go and I start listening to these stories and stuff, and I started actually thinking about it, it started to not actually make sense. So it's kind of ironic because I was on the Internet looking up these things, and I came across your show. <laughs> well, that, that's good. And, that's, I didn't come across this show, but I came across all the people who did all this work before I ever started uh, when I was – you know, I spent a lot of years believing but not really being too concerned about it. And when it came time to buckle down and get serious about this, um, man, I, I, all I really wanted to do was, was, you know, be the best Christian I could be or be whatever it was God wanted me to be. And, well, that, that, that was me. Uh, I, I accepted it and I went with it. I, I, I did all I could. Uh, but as I started thinking about it, it started bothering me. So I talked to my pastor about it. I go to a big church. It's like, you know, thousand people that go there. I mean, it's pretty huge. And uh, so they got several pastors. And I've gone to them hoping they would give me some really good answers. Uh, and the answers they kind of gave me were, I don't know, they weren't really good, good in my opinion. Like the one said, well, of course there's a guy. Look at creation. Well, I mean, you the know, natural explanation for that. Yeah, yeah and I get that. I mean, we laugh because there are people who have literally called the show to say, look at the trees. And I laugh alongside it, but I'm not laughing at that person so much as as the the absurdity of of still dealing with this because I understand that. I can I can't put my old theist hat back on as easily as I used to be able to. But I certainly right. understood, look at the trees. I you know, you're living in a world that just seems preposterous well, that it could have happened without some guidance. I get that, where they're sure. coming from. Exactly. Uh, but I kind of dismissed that one. But the ones that he kind of gave me that kind of stuck with me, and it's kind of why I believe and it's kind of the reason I'm calling, is uh, he mentioned prophecies, and he mentioned the apostles seeing Jesus afterwards, and 500 people have seen him. They who, wouldn't all be who, wrong. Who are those no, Who are uh, those 500? Because if a book well, says... I, I don't know. If a book, get into that, but he just... Go ahead, I'm sorry. If a book says 500 people saw him, and the purpose of the book is to convince you that there's good reason to believe people saw him, um, we don't have any of those names. We don't have any way of, of asking them what they did or didn't see. Um, if I went into a courtroom and said 500 people saw John kill this person, and we never called any of them, and I wouldn't tell you who they were, 
do we get to keep considering that as evidence? No, no, that's true. But he kind of he just mentioned that kind of in passing. His main focus was you have the eleven minus Judith because Judith was killed, who went on and continued preaching this under the yep. guise of if we go out and preach this, we are going to be killed. Now, yep. because they're you know they're they're in hiding. That that is one possibility. I mean, it's not it's not necessarily a done deal that somebody is um, under the understanding that they're going to be killed or martyred. The thing is. Have other people gone out to preach on behalf of other religions with the knowledge that they're going to be persecuted and possibly killed? Mm-hmm. And if those people well, went out and did it, then how is it in any way a barometer of whether what they believe is true? I'm willing to accept that it's a barometer on whether or not they were convinced. Um, it's not a perfect barometer of that because some people um, may not have been convinced that the story was what we have and that it was true, but they were convinced that the message was important. You know, to, if you're trying to implement, for example, a social change and you're trying to enlighten people towards something you've discovered, you're likely to, to talk about that message because you think it's important and because you think it'll change the world, irrespective of whether or not you think it's the, the supernatural components are true. And irrespective, and you might think that they're true, irrespective of whether they are true. It's just so hard for me to give it up because what if it, it was true and, and you know the consequences is it, it's bad. Yeah, it's not. it's awful, and, and I under, uh, it's terrifying for some people. But here's the thing: if it were true, and you were sitting there as a sincere believer, and you were having difficulties, and the people who God has as representatives to answer those questions weren't giving you good answers and the arguments that they gave you were potentially fallacious and it wasn't enough to convince you and you reached out to God and you said I really I mean I've I've believed this for 20 years I'm confused now I'm not getting good answers I don't I'm, I'm not sure where I've gone wrong please help explain to me why this is reasonable to believe why why would you write things down in languages that die out and change? Why would you give us books where we don't know the authors? Why would you put us in a universe where eyewitness testimony is unreliable and then expect us to take the word of non-eyewitnesses thousands of years ago on the single most important question? And if you get nothing in response from God, then either that God isn't there or he doesn't care enough to offer a reasonable foundation to support your belief. And that makes really good sense, and that's kind of what I've been struggling with. And that's that's another I, question. I, I want to let you get to this, but that's another question. Why would why would there ever be a god that allowed you to call into some jackass on an atheist show who makes a better argument than the people who are supposed to be there presenting his truth? What what? I don't, none I don't of this makes sense. I'm calling the show. I mean, like I'm calling. It's I'm calling because I I've, I've listened to a couple of your shows, and I'm like, wow, these folks make sense. Like, and and like you just said, I talked to these pastors, and they're just giving me, it feels like just smoke, like these screen, smoke screen answers. Yeah, and that's how I got here. Just keep reading, yeah, just keep reading your Bible, you'll get the answer. Well, I told them, I was a pastor, I've read this Bible, I've read it fully, because I was, because of my doubts, I read this book. You doubted, you told me, you're like, hey, you know, like, this is the Word of God. So I actually, I, before last year, I hadn't even read the book. 
They got to make I up their mind. Is it the book? Is it the books that's important, or do you actually have a personal relationship with the risen Christ? Is the Holy Spirit actually going to guide you in your life? If you if you're having okay. difficulties on one, and they point to the book, and then when you have difficulties with the book, they point to the other one. How is that not the co- biggest colossal bait and switch in the history of the world? Yeah, they still need more confusion. Which and then with the problem, if you go to the and internet, God is I'm not the author of confusion, is what the book says. And yet, I can find nothing yeah. more confusing than this paradigm that is rooted in this foundation. I'm sorry to keep interrupting you, but I, no, having been no, where no, you were... Um, it's your show, so I mean... This brings up the passions in me because I, I have been roughly where you were facing those frustrations, and it's the reason I do what I do. Um, and I'm not well, saying you're really going to be an not. atheist tomorrow or anything. Um, no, I, I'm encouraged no. that people are actually other people are having these questions. It's just, it's, it's driving me nuts. I can't sleep at night. I actually, I went to church today and I just felt like I didn't belong because I'm asking these questions and all these people around me feel the spirit, you know, and I don't. And that's what led to more doubt. And I asked these questions. I read the book. I asked some questions. I'm like, you know, this book, you know, it's got a lot of bad things in it. Like, well, why would this have be from God? And he said, well, we're a fallen people. You just get these, like, I don't know. So I go on the internet. I try to read about the reliability of the, apostles seeing Jesus, and you just get mixed answers from the Internet. you got some people that say, oh, absolutely, this is true. He's absolutely saw him. And the other people would say the opposite. So I don't know who to believe. And I'm going to tell you that, what, what you're getting ready to face, and it's one of my biggest pet peeves. I, I have a handful of pet peeves, but th- this one is very near the top. I did a debate in um, Kamloops, British Columbia. It was me and Chris DiCarlo against two ministers, and they said the exact wrong thing at the exact wrong time. Because they said that God will reveal himself to anybody who sincerely seeks God with the right mindset and with the humbleness of heart, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And nothing is, very, very few things are likely to send me off into a rant than trying to pretend that I didn't try hard enough or didn't do it right. That the, the other people who are still sincere believers who I was in church with did anything more. Now, I'm sure there are people who have spent more time in this and studied harder, but there's also people who've never read their Bible, who don't care about any of this, who've never bothered to look into this, who can't think rationally, who don't understand critical thinking, who sit in their churches and are absolutely convinced that they are destined for heaven. They are one of the chosen, the blessed, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and that when I raise questions... It's somehow my fault. How dare you question God? Why can't you come with a humble... Screw that. If there is a God and he doesn't care enough to respond given what I did, I don't want anything to do with him. If if there are people who are sincere, devout Christians who are trying to do their best to live up to 1 Peter 3.15, to be soul winners, to do to be an instrument oh, for God bad. on earth, and they begin to have doubts... And the only thing they get is, well, you have fallen in your walk with the Lord. There's some sin in your life that's preventing you from being the instrument that God wants you to be. When that type of bullshit comes out, that is pretend that basically what they're saying is, I cannot possibly be wrong and God cannot possibly be wrong. And therefore it's you. And as soon as you begin with, I can't possibly be wrong, the conversation is over. And when you blame somebody else in that situation, if, if it's me, I'm done. I have no interest in carrying on a conversation with somebody who says there's absolutely no possibility I could be wrong. And by the way, it's also your fault that you don't get this. Um, 
You may, if, if there's not a way to educate reasonable people to show that Christianity or any other religion is in fact reasonable, then that is still the fault of the God who stuck people in this world, gave them varying degrees of capability at understanding things, set up a system where you have to know things, you have to become an expert in all kinds of things. The absurdity of not being able to just have a conversation with somebody who you actually believe to be real and you want to do what they want, uh, it, it boggles my mind. And it is, to me, almost concrete evidence that the God that most Christians believe in almost certainly does not exist. And that if there is a God that's even remotely like that, why is that God being quiet about the confusion? Why are there a thousand or more denominations of Christianity that disagree on every single point of doctrine? Why is there no clarity? Why is it that the Bible can say that God is not the author of confusion, and yet all we see is confusion? And instead, people get together and say, well, you're like me. We both went to the same church. We kind of believe the same thing. Baloney! We saw an advertisement last night for a Christian kink organization going to a swingers club. <laughs> now, when I was a Southern Baptist, if I would have heard about that, I would have been appalled. But now it's not surprising because we know that Baptists don't recognize each other in the liquor stores and Episcopalians don't recognize each other at the swingers club. And it's all a bunch of hypocrisy. And the idea that the people who are most diligent about studying their religion and most interested in trying to demonstrate to others that this is true and it's needed are the ones that tend to fall out because of critical examination of the Bible in seminaries. The number of atheists coming out of seminary uh, is pretty staggering, and it's why we have things like the Clergy Project. But I, that was another lengthy rant, Kevin. I apologize for that. No, it's fine. Uh, you pretty much hit the nail on the head with the, the you fell from God because my pastor gave me that too. He said, you know, there must be some sin in your life that's keeping you from seeing God, and you just nailed that right on the head. Like, yeah, there must, there must be some How sin in his life that's keeping him from being compassionate to, to somebody of his flock, to just blame them out of the blue. But I, I walked away even more baffled. I went there. I was hoping I'm going to get answers, but I, I don't want to take up too much. You, you were, you were very, I, I appreciate your patience, guys. You guys were awesome. Thank you for taking my call. I mean, I'm going to still ponder this. I don't want, I don't want to take up too much of your show. Uh, I'm going to keep watching and, uh, maybe I'll call back and I'll let you know what happens. I mean, uh, yeah, please do. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. And good luck. And no matter, yeah. no matter where you end up, you are already attempting to pursue this honestly. And so if you find your way back, out of the doubts to where you have a confidence that this is reasonable, I would love to hear you explain why. Uh, because if it's true, I'd like to know. If there's a reasonable foundation for this, I would like to know. And unfortunately, despite debating some of the, you know, well, I won't, uh, whatever, despite debating a bunch of apologists who are supposedly great thinkers in this area, um, it's it's been incredibly slim pickings as to whether or not there's a decent argument to be made at all. Yeah, if you haven't heard it yet. I mean, uh, anyways, guys, I want to wish you Merry Christmas, Happy Thanksgiving, Happy New Year. Uh, Same you. You guys are awesome. Uh, Thanks, Kevin. Have a wonderful day. Thank you Thanks, very much, folks. Kevin. Bye-bye. And I was in Buffalo a couple months ago giving a talk for CFI. Uh, you can keep an eye on, like, my Facebook page in here, and I'll try to let people know where I'm going. We've hit the 6 o'clock mark. We have hit the wall, and I think Kevin's call is a, is a really good one to end the show on. Um, it's often difficult to watch what's happening in the secular community or in the world in general or to wake up and realize 
I found my way out, and for more than a decade, I've been doing you know whatever I can to help others find their way out. And some we get lots of email from people who are you know I used to be this, I used to be that, and now I'm you know an atheist, or now I'm a skeptic, or now I'm a humanist. Um, and calls like Kevin for somebody who is potentially in a transition phase. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Kevin called back as an atheist. And I also wouldn't be overwhelmingly surprised if Kevin called back as a theist. Because one of the things that we know happens is that religions have protection mechanisms mm-hmm. that poison the ability to think rationally about it. They, they play on people's emotions. What's going to happen after I die? You know, do I have meaning and purpose in my life? What will, how can I possibly be moral if we just don't have a God to dictate what morality is? And one of the things it does is it allows you to make excuses for immoral actions as if they were moral. There's a lot of work to do, and it's, there's no denying that atheists are a minority, that secularists are perhaps a minority as well, although there are plenty of theists who, who qualify as secularists. And, and wherever you end up, don't stop asking questions and don't stop thinking about what it is you're being told. Yeah, I remember when Jerry DeWitt, who's a good friend of mine and was the first quote, graduate of the Clergy Project. Basically, the Clergy Project is an anonymous online forum for members of the clergy who no longer believe so that they can interact with other non-believers. Jerry was the first member of that to come out and be public and give his real name and talk about it in public. And they called him the first graduate of the Clergy Project. He rejected that phrase, and I do too. It may be viewed as a slight, uh, as a kind of graduation, but graduation tends to give this idea that we've reached an end point. And merely coming to the conclusion that you don't have reason to believe that there's a God anymore isn't an end point. If anything, it's a starting point. And for the caller who called in to say, what's next? Take that as your starting point and explore the damn world. Enjoy yourself. Try to be decent to other people. If you can't figure out why you should try to be decent to other people, spend some time focusing on whether or not that's a good idea. You have the entire world at your fingertips. And if you get together with other people, and there are countless organizations like the Atheist Community of Austin, both locally and nationally, where you can get together with other people who are non-believers so that you don't feel like you're the only one because you're not. I'll be gone next week, but we'll see you in two weeks, I think, or in somebody else. I think Russell will be here, and we'll have a good show then. Thanks to everybody behind the scenes who's making the show happen and all the people on the other side of the glass the who are about to applaud because that's what they do when a show's over. We'll <laughs> see you. And you can go to Star of India. Uh, they'll put the address up right there. Bye-bye. This is Russell Glasser, host of The Atheist Experience. You know, The Atheist Experience is made possible by volunteers and the generous support of viewers like you. If the promotion of positive atheist culture and separation of church and state are values that you hold, please consider contributing by becoming an ACA member or visiting our product page at EvolveFish.com under the Partner tab. Thank you.